0: Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show.
1: Welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, everyone. I am your host, Zach Beach, and I'm here with the incredible spiritual coach, yoga therapist, and author, Jenny Lee. Hello, Jenny, and welcome to the show.
0: Hey, Zach. Nice to be with you again.
1: Yes, Jenny was featured on episode 57 of the podcast in an episode about breathing love. It was such a wonderful time. I invited her back on to talk about her newest book, Spark Change, 108 Provocative Questions for Spiritual Evolution. And for those that don't know, Jenny Lee is a certified yoga therapist and spiritual coach who has counseled through the framework of yoga philosophy and spiritual psychology for over 20 years. She is passionate about helping people access soul wisdom and purpose. Jenny Lee is a multi-award-winning author of three books, including True Yoga, Breathing Love, and the topic for today's show, Spark Change, which won the prestigious Nautilus Book Award. How are you today, Jenny?
0: I'm doing great, Zach. Yeah, it's kind of a rainy day here in Hawaii, but that's a nice oh. change from constant sunshine.
1: <laughs> well, it's keeping things green, tropical paradise over there. So thank you so much for coming on. And I have to say, this is one of the easier interviews to prep for because I have a list of 108 questions right here. <laughs>
0: exactly, I made book. it easy for you. <laughs> I didn't have
1: to, didn't have to come up with my own. So I don't think we have time to go through all all through 108. And before I ask you your own questions, just tell our listeners, walk them through the book a little bit. It's basically 108 questions with some lovely insight and wisdom. And how does one work with the questions that you do pose in the book Spark Change?
0: Yeah, so this book um, really came out of my counseling practice. Um, So much of what I do with folks is really get them to tap into their own inner wisdom. And we do that through this practice of self-reflection, Swadhyaya in yogic terms. Mm-hmm. Well, we're constantly asking ourselves questions. We're constantly having dialogues in our own heads, whether we know it or not. So this is just really bringing consciousness to that. And the book is divided into 12 sections, uh, 12 themes, if you will. But for me, it's kind of a pro- the process of going through change that is required. So um, each section has nine questions that deepen the the kind of reflection or discovery around that topic so whether the Mm -hmm. topic is um on purpose or on love or on willingness or on our beliefs it gives people the opportunity to you know consider a question i give some insight as to ways to work with that question some sort of follow-up things to think about and then it's um it's on them to kind of take it from there and journal or ponder and see where the material takes them. But it's mm. uh, the practice of self-reflection is, to me, it's so essential. Meditation and self-reflection, two sides of a coin that are essential for our spiritual growth.
1: Mm. It's so interesting because when you said we are constantly having a dialogue in our own heads and asking ourselves things, I was almost thinking about the inner critic, asking myself, man, what is wrong with me? Or like, why can't I do anything right? And, you know, sometimes that self-reflection can turn into self-criticism or self-wallowing. And I'm curious how we do shift from and identify questions that perhaps aren't serving us And shift more towards questions that do serve us in finding our purpose and finding happiness.
0: I think that's such a great example, Zach. And I think if people pay attention to that inner dialogue, they will often notice the very same thing. Um, My experience with people is that they are so hard on themselves, usually harder on themselves than on anybody else. And so these questions like the ones you just mentioned that pop in like, oh, like, why would you? do that, or why can't you do this right, or whatever, um, they often arise. And we do have to watch for that um, critical voice that will really put a stop to the positive self-reflection. It's important to be compassionate with ourselves as we're going through the practice of introspection, to be Mm -hmm. compassionate with the places where we might not be living into our fullest potential yet. Uh, we're all mm-hmm. works in progress, so mm-hmm. c- catching that inner voice is for sure the first step. So just becoming aware of it, like you said, as as I was saying that, you were going, "Huh, what's going on in my head?" And <laughs> catching those <laughs> catching those little monster questions that are negative, and and doing a reframe, like you said. Um, I saw a post on social media recently, which was great. Uh, it said, "What is right with you?" And that's such a great mm-hmm. reframe of what's wrong with you, you know, where we go, <laughs> mm. How was wrong with you? Why'd you do that? Well, What's right with you today? And just giving yourself that positive affirmation, um, or at least just some empathy, some, <laughs> some kindness is a great mm-hmm, place mm-hmm. to start.
1: Mm. I love that. Just like a personal anecdote. I'm living in a new place right now. And as you know, it takes a while to move into somewhere. So there's boxes everywhere and things are really disorganized. And it's really easy to just look around and focus on what is wrong. And I have been really trying to do the, actually, I have a roof over my head. There is fresh, clean, drinkable water coming out of my tap. I have this shelter. And thinking about how this very right thing that I have, food, shelter, safety, warmth, supersedes the wrong things that are so easy to focus on.
0: That's great. That's a great example.
1: And I love your emphasis on compassion and being compassionate with those inner responses rather than adding an extra layer of criticism and judgment. And compassion, you know, involves that being with suffering. And this is something I've been really exploring a lot in my own work. And I feel like we're doing very similar things in the world. And I'm happy to continue our conversation from before, Because you write in your own book, in your introduction, something that really stuck with me, which is evolution and the willingness to grow mentally, emotionally, and spiritually comes either as a result of dramatic pain and suffering or through the blessing of love. And love and suffering has been a big theme I've been thinking about, and I'm curious where this came from in your life. What are some examples that you have found of how either pain, or suffering,
0: or love
1: have resulted in extraordinary transformations.
0: Yeah, I know this is definitely a a space where we share a common interest and reflection. There's there's another um, quote that I really love, which is, you will either be brought to our knees um, by despair or devotion. I think it's something like that. And Mm. I think about that because... I've always been somebody who prays and I pray pretty regularly, but I think a lot of people don't pray until there's a real disaster happening and it's kind of last resort and where it's that being brought to our knees by despair. And, um, it's, we have a choice, right? We can wait Mm -hmm. (laughs) for those really horrible things to happen and they do happen in every human life. There's loss, there's, um, there's suffering, there's disappointment, hardship, etc. in all different forms. Um, I've had a tremendous amount of loss in my own life. I've lost many people that I love. And each one of those losses was different, but it gave me the opportunity to decide, to make a really clear choice about how to go forward from that point. Like, was I going to close mm. my heart down and not take chances on love anymore was I going to be just so devastated that I couldn't get up and do the work that I believe in doing? Mm. Was I going to just take a different path in some way? I, I feel like they're choice points. And so not only do we have a choice just on the daily, do we go to our devotional practice and to that sense of love in that universal way that we, I believe we're meant to walk in the world loving to the greatest capacity that we can access. Mm. So it's a daily choice. But also at those times when suffering is upon us, it's a the, the choice is even heightened. It's like, well, what are you going to do with this? <laughs> and so, um, Yeah, I've been thinking a lot even about the whole concept of divine timing. And um mm. Lots being kind of said about that right now. And I I actually have a different approach, I think, than many people with that concept. Because to me, it's not like there's some master puppeteer that is orchestrating the timing of our lives. Like, stuff happens. And to me, it's, it's, again, it's that question, well, what are you going to do with this? How are you going to handle this delay? How are you going to handle this disappointment? How are you going to handle this person walking away from you or not giving you what you want or whatever like these are just choices that we're faced with and to me the choice always comes down to am I going to choose love mm. it's just that simple and so we grow I grow I have grown so much in those times when things have been the worst and I've still been able to make that choice for love
1: mm such a powerful quote you said at the beginning, that we are either brought to our knees by despair or devotion. And I love your emphasis on this idea of choice. And I'm curious, that connection between choice and change. And again, just as you mentioned, how suffering can be a huge catalyst for big changes in our lives. I'm thinking about the ways that we do resist change and the reasons that we don't change. I think we all sort of know what is right to do in the world. We know what food is healthy, we know stress is not good, we know how much we should be sleeping every night. But we often have a hard time implementing the necessary changes that we have to do for our life and end up paying for it later on, right? In the in yoga sometimes I say we ha- we if we don't listen to our body's whispers we'll hear it yell later (laughs) like if we don't notice the tension here it's gonna end up being a more serious condition later on so i'm curious your take on how we often want to change but feel incapable and what we might do to overcome those obstacles
0: yeah changes you know people why don't we change because change is hard period and hmm. of story change is hard it really is it requires intentionality it requires some self discipline um I think about the own my own habits, the things that I've established in my life um, for good and those that I'm still working on, uh, undoing some mm. bad habits and putting some better ones in. And it's a process. And so, again, I think we have to be compassionate with ourselves wherever we are. We can only do as much as we can do in any given moment. Um, we need to give ourselves a lot of credit for the things that we have done already and really mm. focus on that because we all like praise. (laughs) So if we can praise ourselves for (laughs) the the things that we've done well, and the ways in which we have been able to change in positive manner, then we're more likely to to do more of that rather than if we're just berating ourselves for the things that we haven't done yet. And then we just fall into that pit of self pity and just not Mm -hmm. doing anything. Why bother? Um, so it's an energetic thing for sure. Staying with the positive self-talk, and I also think one key to making change is making it in baby steps. I think people often mm. take on too big of changes. They they kind of have that big picture goal, and then they get discouraged because they can't get there as quickly as they'd like. But if you mm. if we mm-hmm. break it down into much smaller steps, then um, It's a lot easier. And I give the example when people are interested in learning about meditation, it's like, well, you're not going to go off to a 10 day Vipassana retreat, your first weekend meditating. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're going to just learn to sit down for five minutes every day and make that a habit to shut off the external stimulus to focus on your breath and to keep your butt in the chair for five minutes. So baby Mm -hmm, steps. mm -hmm. And if we do that consistently every single day, then over time it builds up to this beautiful five minutes where we look forward to being in that chair. And suddenly the five minutes turns into 15 or 50 and we're having a totally different experience of meditation. So Mm. yeah, those are my two keys. (laughs) Stay Mm. positive, focus on the positive and baby steps.
1: I do remember that was a huge shift for me when I finally looked forward to meditating rather than being, okay, I got to go watch my thoughts again.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, it it is supposed to be a space of joy. And so (laughs) we have to get beyond that restless thoughts to get to the joy.
1: (laughs) Hmm. You mentioned that we all like praise so we can praise ourselves. And just really quickly, I'm wondering what that looks like.
0: <laughs> well, I don't mean this in like become a narcissist. <laughs> I just think that everything that you do is fantastic there's plenty more than enough of those out in the world um no, but i mean what does that look like? okay, I'll give you a personal example so I've been working on a new project for the last four months. Um, I've been in intensive focus for the past six weeks because my husband was gone. And so I just had the house to myself, I could completely focus on this project. Well, my house is a wreck right now. It is so Mm. dirty. (laughs) He's coming back this weekend, and I really have to clean the house. (laughs) So I could focus on the fact that I'm living in a really dirty house at the moment, or I could give myself praise of when I look around at the fur balls, just go, yeah, but you're launching this amazing project. So look at all that mm. good that you've been been doing over the last six weeks. So again, it's just changing the focus.
1: Now I have to know what your project is before we move on. Just give us a little <laughs> hint. Maybe we can plug it at the end.
0: Oh, sure. So I, um, I'm really interested in, I think like you, it, that you do through this podcast, I'm interested in Um, lifting up other voices and creators of different disciplines and so I have um, started the process of establishing a writer and artist residency program in Italy and so that will be coming into fruition in 2024 and I'm happy to send you the link to share with your listeners um, if they're interested in finding out more about that.
1: Mm, very cool. So I love all the questions that you have in Spark Change. And now I want to ask you your own questions. See what, how your reflections about life are going, including sure. question 17, which is what gives your life the most meaning?
0: Such a good one. And I think we, we all need to stay close to those things that give our lives meaning for me, for sure. It's relationships my husband, my son, my friends, my animals, um, my clients, and really anyone that I'm interacting with because I feel like there's an opportunity to connect wherever Mm -hmm. we are and with whomever we're interacting, even if it's just a very casual interaction in the grocery store, we have the opportunity to connect at a true human heart level. And so that... is for sure number one meaning um actually it's not number one i would say number one is god um god first and that connection to the divine but to me it's all the same because god is manifesting through everyone that i'm in relationship with and basically i'm in relationship Mm -hmm. with god through all of those people so however i'm choosing to operate in my human relationships is a very much of a reflection of my relationship with the divine, mm. um, so that that is what gives my life the most meaning. Um, the work that I do in the world, I hope, is also a reflection of that. It's um, whether I'm writing or coaching people; it's it's an opportunity to meet them at that heart space and hopefully help them feel seen and heard and appreciated and.
1: Uplifted. So I really love your emphasis on relationships because I absolutely think that connection is one of the biggest sources of meaning in our lives. And I recently was reminded of this quote that the only people who will remember that you stayed late at work is your family. And that's why I feel like questions like these are so powerful is because once we do answer them, it becomes a guiding principle where I realize, okay, if this is what gives me the most meaning, then logically, I should use this to guide my life as I move forward.
0: Absolutely, and the section in the book about values is very much of a guidance towards that, what you just said. It's like, Mm. if we can establish what what our true values are and what gives our life the most meaning, then we have that guidepost for our lives. And choices become so much easier. It's just not a question.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So I'd love to pop over to question 93, which is if you could, what one thing would you change about the world?
0: I would have everyone suddenly be in the enlightened state of recognizing that we are not separate from one another, that Mm -hmm. we are all part of one consciousness, one human family one energy, and that anything that any one of us does affects everyone else. And so when we have that consciousness, we operate differently. Um, And that's what I would change. Because I think if we all really knew that there would be a lot more harmony, and peace and goodwill in this world.
1: Just a simple change right there. Just
0: a little <laughs> one. Tiny. <laughs> I'll
1: just repeat it because it's it's absolutely lovely. Have everyone suddenly be in an enlightened state to recognize we are not separate from one another.
0: <laughs> a, I, I have big goals. What can I say? <laughs>
1: You know, it's just, it's a really silly example, but I was also thinking about like, how would our behavior change if we recognize our connection with everyone? Because I was just driving behind this car the other day and it was a very large truck that was then raised even higher on its wheels. And they clearly had some attachment on the tailpipe that, you know, acts as like, like a speaker like a a widening of the sound and a loudening of the sound and then revs the engine and then black smoke pours out of it. And I was like, man, what would it, like, what's going on in this person's world that they, you know, they're clearly affecting everyone around me through the pollution, through the sound, you know, driving by people's homes, through the visibility and even just pedestrians are much more likely to Die when they get hit by a car like this. And I was like, I think it's just connection. I think it's just realizing that we exist in a web of relationships and anything that we do affects other people. And having that consciousness that we are part of one single reality will then make our actions more compassionate and concerning of others.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But there is a tremendous amount of disconnection from that truth in the world. (laughs) And and so we get examples like the one that you just gave. And we don't have to look far to see plenty more examples of Mm. extremely self-referential behavior. And Mm. I can't even tell you is a kind of a phenomenon now that I watch when I'm going into a store and someone's entering right before me. You know, it used to be very customary when I was younger that you hold the door for the person coming in behind you doesn't matter if it's a woman a man and an animal (laughs) I don't know um you know it's just human courtesy you hold the door Mm -hmm. for the person coming in behind you and I have found recently that more often than not I can be right behind somebody and they will walk in and let the door just fall Mm -hmm. and it's sad to me that that's becoming the norm um I try really hard to be courteous and to hold the door for the person behind me. (laughs) Um, It's these simple actions that I think we can lose sight of their importance and how they Mm. hold the fabric of our society together or not.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think that's a lovely segue to, to talking about that love and connection that we can experience with others You have 12 chapters split into nine questions, and one chapter is on love, so number of questions to kind of think about. And question 90 is this, in what form do I most want to know love? And rather than say answer the question, I am curious, um, how are you using this term form? And what are some examples of forms that we can know love in?
0: Yeah, I sort of answered that a little bit when I was talking about what is meaningful to me um, because to me, there is one energy of love. Now, you can call that, you can just call it love. You can call it spirit, God, whatever, the divine. Um, But to me, there's one universal love. And that love comes into human form through all of us. So I might experience the form of love through my husband. Somebody else might not be married. And so they're not experiencing it through spousal love, but they might Mm -hmm. experience it through their animal or through their connection to nature or to a friend. Mm. Um, So there's, we have the love of friends, teachers, parents, siblings, spouses, lovers. The animals, all manner of ways. And so to the question of how do you most want to experience love, I think we all have ways in which we're blessed with love, and then ways in which maybe we feel a bit lacking. And so to me, that question is, how can I approach the divine in a way that opens my heart to feeling that divine love in the form that maybe is missing in the human way. So to make that more clear, um, I don't have siblings. I'm an only child. So, and I haven't really had a lot of mentors in my life. So one thing that I feel I would like to experience the love of a guide, like a guiding mentor type essence. Um Mm-hmm. that has my back and is you know working for my good and giving me clear direction and so when I approach God often it's with the desire to feel love in the form of guide mm-hmm. and what's beautiful what i what I can tell you happens is that when we get really clear about that and we ask specifically to feel the universal love through that particular form it manifest that way. So my relationship with the divine is very much now as a sort of guide student So I'm I'm constantly in dialogue with the divine as my guide. Does that make sense? Does that answer the question?
1: (laughs) (laughs) It does. Obviously, it leads to more questions. So I'll repeat a few things. You mentioned, how can I approach the divine in a way that opens my heart to feeling that divine love in the form that is maybe missing? And I wouldn't mind hearing more about your... Spiritual, I might say beliefs, um, or you might maybe truths might be a word that you resonate more with. Because just recently I was thinking about this quote from the Bible that's been attributed to Jesus, and I'm probably gonna butcher it, but it's something along the lines of whenever two or more are gathered in my name, I am here or I am there, or I am present, or something along those lines. And I recently kind of interpreted this statement to mean whenever two human beings are together, expressing any sort of love, kindness, compassion, forgiveness, that is the presence of the divine. That is how we express the divine through us, through, in our human form, taking care of each other, loving each other. and. I know that you teach yoga, and I am curious, and meditation too, and I am curious, is there any religious tradition, background, scripture? Do you identify with any sort of religious uh, institution that you like? or Where do some of these ideas come from?
0: Well, I love your um, reflection on that biblical passage, and I think it's a great example of how as soon as we choose to be in love with, and I don't mean romantic love, but to be inside the energy of love with another human being, we have stepped into that state of consciousness that is connected and not separate. Mm. And so that is a movement towards that enlightened state and Mm. away from the kind of behavior that we were talking about the truck guy with the black smoke Um, (laughs) (laughs) which is not a very connected state Um, Mm. and so I've studied lots of different world religions I don't associate with any particular religion Um, my Mm -hmm. coaching is based in yoga philosophy which the classical texts of yoga philosophy are the yoga sutras the Bhagavad Gita the Upanishads so those are the texts that I draw a lot of um, my teachings from. Um, mm-hmm. I have studied the Bible. I've read the Bible cover to cover twice, actually, and was raised in a Christian faith. Um, but mm-hmm. have it's been many, many years since I've gone to any particular church. I think there's truth in all religions. I think there's also a lot of human error in all churches. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's, very
1: kind, that's a very kind way of putting it.
0: And that's just to be expected. Um, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so there's no blame to be laid on, on any church or any religion um, because there are good people in all of them. And they're, we're all striving. I mean, the, the people who are striving towards understanding will find it. And those who are just there for a power trip or a, a social hour, then they're gonna have a different experience. So, um, you know, each one's on their own journey, but to me, um, truth can be found in any religion. It's just about the, the intention of the individual. Hmm.
1: Yeah, that's something I've definitely found in my work that you said towards the beginning, that love and connection to me are quite synonymous. Even this word yoga, linking together unity is also very similar. So anything that connects us to something outside of ourselves, something beyond ourselves, anything that brings a humility to our egoic desires, and uh, whether it's falling in love with another person, entertaining a relationship with the divine, or just seeing the web of relationships that connect all of us human beings is one of the foundations of love for me too. And an earlier question that you have in your love section is, what sadness is keeping me separated from love? And in that, you write that separation from love is the basis for all unhappiness, which is a pretty bold claim. (laughs) And I'd love to hear more about it.
0: Well, I'm going to stand firmly in that bold claim, <laughs> <laughs> because if you think about it, it's, it shouldn't be too big of a jump from the conversation we've already been having. If we are operating from this, the consciousness of divine love, so not personal love, because personal love is limited. It's like, I will love you if <laughs> and then at put on the conditions right and so and mm-hmm. that's because personal love comes from that ego part of ourselves but as we grow in our spiritual understanding we we recognize that beyond the ego part of ourselves there's also the soul part of ourselves and we're the more mm-hmm. that we can stand in that consciousness then when we um, when we are choosing to be be in love with, inside love with another person, then it doesn't matter what we're getting back. And so this the, this question about sadness and separation is that if I step out of the consciousness of love, I'm not going to be happy. Hmm. I'm just not going to be happy. I might be temporarily entertained in this world of many things that are entertaining, but it's not going to last. It's not Mm -hmm. true happiness. It's not true joy.
1: Mm. There's this quote I love and it goes, our aim is not to be in love, but to be in love, (laughs) which some people like, what, what are you talking about? Meaning uh, not to be in love with one other person, but to be in love the energy, the all-encompassing love itself.
0: Exactly. And and when we're in that, it doesn't, this is going to sound like another big statement, but I was going to say, <laughs> it doesn't even matter if we have relationships. I mean, we will. You can't not have relationships if you're standing in the energy of love. But if you're truly in the energy of love, your experience is so complete that you're not looking for anything external from another human.
1: Hmm. So it's interesting. This is something I've always thought about. And I feel like you'll be open to answering it. I follow a lot of teachers and in the spiritual world who spend a lot of time talking about divine love, unconditional love, uh, positive, warm regard for all human beings everywhere. And they're married to one person. (laughs) So how do you reconcile the two, I should say? Like right now, I'm hearing, oh, personal love is quite limited, comes from the ego. And then your husband's like, wait, are you saying that all you have is egoic, selfish, personal love for me?
0: (laughs) No, this is a great question. And um, obviously, I'm married, so we've already established that. And so I'm happy to answer this question. And it's something that my husband and I have talked about quite a bit. So when we are truly anchored in that universal love, as I said, I'd feel that we no longer need human relationship. It's what, when a monastic makes their vows and renounces worldly relationship and is just in communion with divine. Um, that being said, I know I know, I knew for myself, in this lifetime, that I still wanted and needed human relationship. And yet, the human relationship that I'm in now is vastly different than ones I was in 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Because I'm Mm -hmm. quite different. My understanding of love has evolved. And so the way I love my husband is as a manifestation of the divine. So it's really like Mm -hmm. I'm loving God through him or loving Mm -hmm. him as God. And so that's different. And it really comes into, uh, it becomes a spiritual practice when the ego stuff comes up. So when we have conflicting needs or desires around something, which is bound to happen as two human beings living together. And so then are you going to... um, work towards getting your your way or are you going to say <laughs> you know which is the typical human strategy or are you going to say all right well he is me i am him what is the good good for one good for all like what really what's the highest good how can i put my sort of self-centered desire aside and look at this as spiritual practice um It's a work in progress, Zach. I will say that it's uh, not something that I've perfected yet this lifetime, but I don't, I I really see my marriage as a territory of the greatest spiritual practice. And I mean that in a really loving and, Mm. um, and happy and joyful way. It's a joyful choice.
1: Mm. Well, I'm glad that you kind of brought up the almost messiness and just challenge of loving another person and how that is fertile ground for our own growth. And I do wanna hear more about those obstacles and conflicts that we do experience in relationship because I feel like most people want to have an open heart. They want to unconditionally love their partner and then certain emotions uh, get in the way. Like I want to love my partner but I'm so angry at them right now because of something they said or something that they did. What about those things that we feel, especially emotional reactions get in the way of that love?
0: So whenever there's an emotional reaction, we are in egoic consciousness. So the first thing is to take Mm. a break from the situation I, again, I'm not perfect at this. I get trapped at times moving in with emotional reaction and it never ends well. (laughs) So it's far better when I have the awareness to step away and process what the emotional reaction is connected to. So what is it Mm. in my personal story that's creating this intense emotion How can I be with that in my own meditative space? How can I offer whatever it is to the divine, ask for assistance um, if I need to reach out for therapeutic help or a friend or whatever, you know, pragmatic steps as well to process those emotional experiences of life uh, before returning to the situation that maybe was the trigger for it and looking at that as really a, a... an opportunity for growth because the Mm. whole beauty of any long-term relationship is if you utilize it for your growth and evolution. I mean, most people, I guess if you don't do that, you're just going to get frustrated and eventually get out and then rinse and repeat. And that's not very helpful for for (laughs) spiritual evolution. So I do believe you got to Stay in the game with the person as long as there's not, you know, terrible behavior happening. I'm not advocating for anybody staying in an abusive (laughs) relationship here. but Well, yeah, I love
1: that you brought that up because I do feel that's one of the first resistances people say when I do like or talk about unconditional love. Um, and how w- wonderful unconditional love is. Usually the, one of the first responses people have is like, okay, so you're saying if somebody hurts me, I'm just supposed to love them. And there's this sort of implication that you then become like a rug that can easily be walked walked over and you're just accepting of everything and being okay with everything. And um, this also comes up when you say things around non-judgment for example like okay so if someone does something bad hurts me hurts my children i'm not supposed to judge them for that and what do you say to such a response
0: you're definitely not supposed to be a doormat or a rug (laughs) Um, we do need to have personal boundaries we can step away from relationships that are unhealthy and at the same time we can practice Extending love to that other soul in a way that is safe for us. So it often has to be at a distance. We don't need to remain in relationship with them if they're harmful to us physically or psychologically. Um, and yet we can be non judgmental from the standpoint that those behaviors of harm or selfishness that we see in human beings come from a place of true ignorance. And Mm. so we have, I separate in my mind, the, the soul and the behavior of that individual. And I can say, all right, I, I'm not willing to engage with that behavior. And I'm going to try to have compassion for that soul and recognize that they are in a state of ignorance right now. Mm. If they had a higher level of consciousness, they would not act that way. They would not act unkindly um, or harmfully to another human. Um, believe me, Zach, I've been hurt. I've had people I love be hurt. And I'm I'm in a continual practice of working on the forgiveness of those behaviors and really trying to, at the same time, um, hold the individual soul in its truest nature and extend Mm. compassion to that, that essence all the while Mm. maintaining safe distance from those people that are not healthy to be around right now.
1: Yeah. I'm sure you've heard that story. I forgot what spiritual teacher told it, but basically like you're lying in a boat and then another boat hits you and you're like, who's this jerk who doesn't know how to steer a boat and you kind of get up. And then you see that no one's actually driving it. It's just an unmoored boat. So you know, basically, that forgive them because they don't know what they do. And when you say bad behavior stems from ignorance, I think I know where you're going. But what are we ignorant? What is, what is the ignorance of?
0: It's ignorance of our true nature. It's ignorance of our divine nature and our interconnectedness. Because if we recognized our interconnectedness, we would know that any harm we do to another, we're actually doing to ourselves. So um, at a karmic level, it, it is it's boomerang. And so it behooves us to be kind.
1: As we're winding down, we only have time for about two more questions. And I want to, give you a question from your inspiration section which is what will I fill my heart up with today because I'm just curious if you have some examples it could be things that fill up your heart personally but even just with your work with clients and people what do you find what things in this world fill our hearts
0: oh gosh well I think that's really different for every individual it's an important thing to contemplate because just like um It's important to take in the right, like you said, nutrients each day in our foods and, you know, get the right amount of sleep, etc. It's really important to fill our cup, our internal cup with things that inspire us, things that we find beautiful, Mm. things that bring us back to our, our values, things that remind us of the goodness in the world and our intentions around being loving individuals. So if I just get up and turn on the news and jam into my day and I don't spend any time in reflective reading or writing or you know, looking at something beautiful outside, I live with a jungle behind me and there are beautiful birds and just taking a moment to appreciate the bird song. Um, Mm. then my day is quite different if I, if I, I mean, there's very few days that I don't take the morning to establish, you know, take in the input that is going to really fill me up um, because I know how valuable it is now. But if there is a day when I get thrown into things super early and don't have that, I can really feel the difference. Uh, I'll usually recalibrate later in the day and make sure that I do take in some of that good uh, fuel, if you will. So I think mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. everybody, it's different what that is, but it's important.
1: Mm. Well, I just love your abstract examples that we can fill in with whatever is real in our life, things that inspire us, things we find beautiful, and things that remind us of the goodness in the world. So you asked you answered it before, and we'll see if things have changed, because this is your return to my podcast, and I have to ask you the final question I ask all of my guests, which is, what do you wish everyone knew about love
0: it's right there inside you all of it every ounce of love you need is within you right now and mm. so if you open your mind and heart and consciousness to that universal flow of love you will find it within for sure and then it will manifest in all different ways in your life
1: mm. <sighs> The universal flow of love. Thank you so much, Jenny Lee, author of Spark Change, 108 Provocative Questions for Spiritual Evolution. For our listeners that want to learn more about you, how can they find you?
0: Well, find me on my website, JennyLeeYogaTherapy.com. I'm happy to answer any questions and always available to connect.
1: Wonderful. Thank you, Jenny, for coming back on the show. And thank you, listeners, for listening to the show. We hope you remember all of the valuable lessons that Jenny shared with us today, including you will be either brought to your knees by despair or devotion. How wonderful the world would be if everyone was suddenly in the enlightened state of recognizing we are not separate from one another. As soon as we choose to be inside the energy of love with another human being, we have stepped into that consciousness that is connected. Marriage can be an incredible territory of the greatest spiritual practice. Whenever we feel emotional reactions in our relationships, we are, we are in egoic consciousness, so we can step away and process what the emotional reaction is connected to. And yes, we can step away from relationships that are unhealthy and still extend love to that soul in a way that is safe for us. Bad behavior stems from ignorance of our true nature and interconnectedness, and we can fill our internal cup with things that inspire us, that we find beautiful, and that remind us of the goodness in the world. If you want to learn more about me, you can go to ZachBeach.com and learn more about the show at TheHeartCenter.com. Thanks again, Jenny, for all your wonderful words.
0: Thank you, Zach. So nice to connect with you. Thanks again for listening to the Learn to Love podcast. To learn more about the show and your host, head over to ZachBeach.com or TheHeartCenter.com. You can also follow Zach on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.